Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zin 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. What happened to Graham McCormick? Handsome, young, full of energy, his life before him. How does he end up dead with head injuries floating in the water? How did that happen? We want justice. How did it happen? I think I know. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us here at Sirius XM 111. Graham McCormick, if you could look at his photo, you just see... Life just brimming with vim and vigor. Young, good-looking, college-educated. It's got the world by the tail. How did this happen? First of all, take a listen to our friends at WTVR. They've never expressed any remorse or said they were sorry or anything. It's just a social sense of betrayal that my family feels. The revelation came after Lancaster detectives discovered a Boston whaler boat at the Hooper home with a large amount of damage that matched damage on the bulkhead where they found Graham's body. Stop right there. But when police charged Rand in... I want to stop with where they found Graham's body. ...connection with Graham's death, that was only the beginning in the McCormick family's four-and-a-half-year fight for justice. So I've known Graham my whole life. For more than four years, Mackie Peebles has wondered what exactly happened the day his friend, Graham McCormick, died in the Rappahannock River. Everybody wants to know what, what really happened. I want to know what really happened. But first of all, who 
is Graham. Listen to our friends at CrimeOnline.com. Graham McCormick grew up in Richmond, Virginia. He was a proud member of the Boy Scouts and became an Eagle Scout before graduating from Douglas Southall Freeman High School. At Hampton Sydney College, McCormick continued to distinguish himself as a member of Kappa Sigma Fraternity with his two brothers. He was also a past president of Kappa Sigma Fraternity and the Interfraternity Council. As a loving son and big brother who always put his family first, McCormick became especially close to his younger brother, Will. When Will was diagnosed with brain cancer and as hospice care was called to help, Graham McCormick became even more devoted to his terminal brother. Everything that I've learned about Graham McCormick makes me wish I had known him in life and that I didn't get to know him after his death. Listen. After college, Graham McCormick pursued his career in finance and moved to Atlanta as a corporate finance analyst with SunTrust Bank. Even though he lived in Atlanta, McCormick returned to the Richmond area often to visit family and friends. It was during one of his visits that Graham McCormick was hanging out with his old friend, Rand Hooper, on the dock of Hooper's parents' river house on the Rappahannock River in Lancaster County, Virginia. They relaxed on the dock and played cards into the night when, according to Rand Hooper, they decided to call it a night. With me, an all-star panel to make sense of what we know right now. But first, I want to go to Burke McCormick. This is Graham's father joining us. Mr. McCormick, thank you so much for being with us here at Crime Stories. Tell me about your son. Uh, He was absolutely a wonderful son. Uh, As honest as the day is long, devoted to our family, uh, well respected by his friends. His, his friends' nickname for him was Grandpa, uh, G R A H A M P A, because he was kind of a kind of a father figure to a lot of his friends and was a leader. And he was just the kindest, most considerate, best older brother and son that anybody could could wish for. Did I hear correctly? That he was an Eagle Scout? Yes, he was, along with his two brothers who also were. Can I tell you something? If you're not in the scouting world, I grew up in 4-H in a very rural area. But now I'm a scout because both my son and my daughter, they're twins, are working on Eagle. Can I tell you how many years they've been working on Eagle? They started it working takes a on long Eagle time. <laughs> in the sixth grade. They're in the 10th grade now. And they've just finished their all the merit badges and all the camping nights it's years and years process culminating in a giant project that you do to help other people my son uh is planning mr mccormick a water filtration system and he's saving money now to go to kenya with him and his sister to implement the water purification system. That's his project. Hers is, That's wonderful. Hers That's is wonderful. about animals, which is equally as impressive. And I'm telling you, when you tell me that your son was an Eagle Scout, that says a lot. It, it really does. I can't tell you how impressed I am that you have raised a family like this. And it, it just, I've asked this question so many times. I'm going to throw this to Dale Carson joining me, high-profile lawyer out of the Jacksonville jurisdiction. Now, what I like about him, he's a former Fed with the FBI, author of Arrest Proof Yourself at DaleCarsonLaw.com. Dale, you and I have talked about this so many times. I've prosecuted a lot of cases. You've investigated a lot of cases as an FBI agent. Why 
is it? The very best people on this earth, they're the ones that become crime victims, get murdered, get mistreated. Why is that? Why can't some, I don't want it to happen to anybody, but why can't this happen to a dope dealer standing outside an elementary school? Why? Why are there all these registered sex offenders when good, decent, wonderful people become victims? It's because Graham is an individual who loved people and they draw to themselves people who are not worthy often. And certainly that was the case here although that took a minute to figure that out. But well, it I'll, I'll tell you why it's getting me so upset right now, because something about him, not necessarily his looks, but I, did your son have blue eyes, Burke? Yes. That's what it was. The first time I looked at him in the eyes, it reminded me of my fiance, Keith, who was murdered. Mm-hmm. And when you think of somebody just hitting their stride, getting out of high school, getting out of college, launching an incredible career, but comes home and stays at home to take care of his terminally ill brother. I mean, it's also with me, in addition to Burke and Dale, is Catherine McCormick. This is Graham's sister. Catherine, thank you for being with us. And I know I hate talking about Keith's murder, but I do it when I have to. Tell me about your brother. Graham was like a second father figure to me. Um, He was seven years older than me and um, he taught me how to drive, taught me how to save money. He, he really um, allowed me to grow into the person who I am today. He pursued me to follow my dreams and obtain my dream job by the time I was 23. And I really owe a lot of my accomplishments to him. You know, you've got so much love in your voice, Catherine McCormick. Gordon McCormick is with me. This is Graham's brother. And think about it. All three of these family members are here today with me on Crime Stories. Because they want the truth. They want justice. And they love Graham. Gordon, tell me about your brother. Uh, Well, he was um, too good for this world. I think think you all pretty pretty well encapsulated it when you said that... uh, very, very pure soul, and they too often do, I think, attract the wrong types. But, um, you know, I, for anyone who's who's familiar with the show Game of Thrones, I mean, he was like the Ned Stark of, uh, of, of people I know. Just his character and integrity was above reproach, and he was the person that everybody could look to um, with reverence to resolve, mediate um, disagreements. And that's why he was always kind of uh, – um, Highly respected by everybody. I, I, I've never met a single person who said a, who had one bad thing to say about him. And I want to tell you something. I, more than I can say for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, me too. You know, Burke McCormick, um, very well respected lawyer in that jurisdiction there in uh, Lancaster County, Virginia. I always thought I knew it all about suffering and grieving when Keith, my fiance, was killed shortly before our wedding. But when I had the twins, that changed everything because there is no love like the love you have for your children. There's just nothing. There's nothing like it. Um, Do you ever wake up in the morning and it seems like maybe it was a bad dream, and then all of a sudden you remember it's real. Yes, I mean we had just lost Will eighteen months earlier, and 
it, 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 when we lost Graham, it was it was unbelievable. And uh, Will, you know, suffered for a long time, and we at least had a chance to say goodbye to him. But Graham, there was no no saying goodbye, and it was it was it was just such a shock and a terrible blow uh, to lose not just one but two two children over the, the span of eighteen months. Um, it, it's been very hard on our family, but we've had the love and support of the community and friends, uh, and, and, and that has at least sustained me and, and I guess the others. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., that's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. So we left off with Graham coming back home to visit. He's with his friend. They're hanging out on the dock and playing cards into the night when after they ate and had a good time, according to the best friend, Rand, they decided to call it a night. But then everything takes a bizarre twist. Listen to our friends at Crime Online. The next day, Sally Graham gets a text from Hooper asking if she's heard from her son. If not, then he is missing. Graham says her son was known for his responsibility as signified by his fraternity nickname, Grandpa, a reference to maturity. Graham asks about a search to find McCormick, searching the water, checking with neighbors, checking in town, and more. The answers? He's not there. Okay, so they were just out on the dock 
having, they ate supper, they're sitting around, I guess, playing cards, having a good old time until it gets dark. And then they wake up and he's just gone. He mysteriously disappears. Take a listen to Melissa Hippolyte, WTVR. Rand told that he, Graham, and another man played cards and drank on the dock of his parents' river house. And then they all went to bed. When Rand woke up, Graham was nowhere to be found, and Rand speculated he had gone out on the dock to call his girlfriend and fallen into the water, or perhaps he had a panic attack and went to the emergency room. He even watched as Graham's mother used an oar to search the water by the dock for her son. Joining me right now is Melissa Hippolyte. You were just hearing her, investigative reporter, WTVR-CBS. Melissa, thank you for being with us. Shed some light on this for me. Could you explain to me what uh, John Randolph Rand Hopper said What about a panic attack or that possibly Graham went out on the dock to make a phone call? Why would you go out on a dock in the dead of night to make a phone call? Yeah, your guess is as good as mine, Nancy, but thanks for having me. Um, He just, you know, shared a variety of different stories, uh, speculative stories with people about what may have happened to Graham, you know, suggesting that. I guess he'd had maybe panic attacks in the past and he thought he may have had another one and gotten himself to the emergency room or that he had maybe gone back outside to call his girlfriend um, and did that on the dock and perhaps he fell in the water while out there at that time. Okay, let me find out about these panic attacks. First of all, what is a panic attack? Dr. Jory Carlson with me, uh, very well-known psychologist, former law enforcement, faculty, St. Leo University, consultant, and author of Operation SOS. Dr. Jory, what is a panic attack exactly? Physically speaking, a panic attack is just like a heart attack. Okay, It comes out of the parasympathetic system. Uh, I've had a heart attack and a panic attack, and they're both the same. Okay, so you're going to have that physiological response. It's uh, the panic. So you're is, not you going to really die of a panic attack, are you? No, no, not no. But the the panic attack comes out of the parasympathetic that survival fight or flight syndrome, and you have this sense of fear, apprehension, and you really don't understand why it is, but it's physically affecting the respiratory system, your cardiovascular system, your mental process of of thinking. Okay, so uh, panic attacks are. Uh, you know, part of the anxiety spectrum. Well, if you can't think, how could you drive yourself to a hospital? How could you, if you can't think, how could you think, wow, I'm having a panic attack. I need to get in the car and drive myself to the hospital. People that have panic attacks, you know, they, they know they can sense them coming on and they have, you know, like say coping areas or coping skills they've learned to deal with it. Like, you know, it could be through breathing, deep breathing, different things that Mm. they, they learn over time. There okay. are medications that work real quick with that, like the diazepam-based, you know, Xanax. They place that under the tongue, and within, you know, five to six minutes, that calms that parasympathetic system physiologically and kind of gives them stability. Well, let's and get to the bottom again. of it. You're hearing Dr. Jory Carlson. Burt McCormick is Graham's dad. Did Graham have panic attacks? He had one the year before in Atlanta. So... Let me understand, he had had one panic attack one year before. Okay, also with us, as I introduced earlier, Melissa Hippolyte. So 
out of the blue, he goes missing. Graham goes missing. Last scene on the dock the night before, and best friend says maybe he had another panic attack and drove himself to the hospital, but there was not a car there for him to drive, and all the cars that had been there were still there. So that doesn't make sense. None of it made sense. Yeah, and, you know, just envision this time period. So Graham is missing. Word starts spreading to Graham's family members, many of whom are on this call, that he's missing. Many of them are rushing to the river to try to locate him. Um, His mother shows up there, and I believe in the testimony we heard, uh, it was actually Rand himself who handed Sally McCormick the oar and suggested maybe you could search around the dock here for his body. Oh, my stars. Handing a mother the oar to a boat and saying, hey, why don't you dig around with the oar and see if you can find your son's body? That's exactly what happened. Listen. Graham McCormick's disappearance isn't reported to police until around 1030 in the morning. Witnesses told police that they were to their rooms just after midnight. McCormick's mother, father, and brother drove from their home to the Hoopers' home as soon as they learned McCormick was missing. Graham checked by the dock using an oar to poke and prod at the water. From there, Graham knocked on neighbors' doors, then returned to the Hoopers. A few minutes later, the neighbor told Graham a body had been found. McCormick's body was found floating in Carter Creek off the Rappahannock River about an hour after the missing persons report was made. The state medical examiner ruled that McCormick died from drowning. Blunt force trauma was a contributing factor in the death. I want to go straight out to Bart McCormick, who was there trying to find his son, the family using an oar to feel down in the water around the dock to find his body. Burke, what happened? Well, Gordon and I did not arrive until after Graham's body had been found. Sally was there first, and she was the one who was uh, looking for for Graham and and hoping against all hope that nothing had happened. Uh, Gordon and I arrived just as the police rolled up and, and notified everyone that they had found Graham. Uh, and we were, of course, devastated. Uh, and it was awful. Joining me right now is Captain Tim Self, captain at the Lancaster Sheriff's Office there in Virginia, who worked this case. Captain Self, thank you for being with us. When did you first get involved in the case? I got involved on that, that Monday morning, that 14th, August the 14th. What did you do? Well, I, I'm the, I was the chief investigator at the time, and I review all reports that come into the office. And I assigned them, signed the cases out to my detectives. Um, what, what I, if anything, did you learn? Yeah, when I reviewed this report and found out that the body was recovered 1.9 uh, miles from exactly where they said that he fell off the dock, it's impossible. Uh, I found that was impossible. For the the way the uh, up in Cordes Creek, uh, for a body to float that far in and out of uh, several different inlets to get to the rock jetty, it, it was impossible for a body to land up there that quick. Why do you say it was impossible for 
his body to land there that quickly? Because with, within uh time the body was reported uh, located and the time to report and with the time period that uh, Rand said he fell overboard, possibly fell overboard because he was on the phone, it 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 didn't match. There's no way a body can float that far if it's if it falls off that dock. And we videoed the creeks uh, to prove that he would have got hung up in uh, shorelines or uh, shallow water the way it's cur- the, the curve of the creek to get to where the body was. Did you describe so, the water for me? Was it marshy? You're saying inlets. Would the body have had to take twists and turns? And Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no way that happened. Graham going missing was not reported until 10.30 the following morning. The family race to the scene, start dipping down into the water with oars to find their beloved son, their brother, running door to door, knocking on doors. And then they learn Graham's body is how far away, Melissa Hippolyte? Two miles? Yeah, I think it was 1.9 miles, correct? That's correct. 1.9 miles away. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. To Dr. Jan Gorniak joining us now. She's a renowned pathologist and former medical examiner for Clark County. If you don't know, that's Vegas. And there's certainly never a lack of business for the medical examiners there. Dr. Gorniak, what do you make of Graham's injuries how did he die from a blow to the head? Shouldn't it have been drowning if he fell off the dock? I mean, what do you make of it? From what I've read and what I, you know, from the medical examiner's report that it's obviously he didn't go straight into the water. 
he has contusions, which are bruises and abrasions, scrapes about his head. But he didn't have enough head injury to have caused his death. So the head injuries could have been a contributing factor as in um, he might have had a concussion, the head trauma might have, he might have been passed out. So therefore he's unresponsive in the water. So ultimately he dies of drowning because he couldn't rescue himself out of the water. So the COD was drowning, correct? That is, that is correct. With other conditions, the head trauma. So when you have on a death certificate, the main COD or cause of death is drowning, but other conditions stand for conditions that contributed to the death but are not the cause. So the head trauma contributed to his death because obviously he couldn't self-rescue himself out of the water. Um, I'm not sure if he was a good swimmer or not, um, but it seemed like it was late at night or early morning, and then it's dark, you get disoriented. So even if he didn't pass out from the, the head trauma, he would have been, you know, you get your bell rung, so to say. Well, I can tell um, you this much, Dr. Gorniak. I take it you are not an Eagle Scout because to no, be I, an Eagle Scout, you have to, I know this by heart, you have to pass a swimming merit badge. And I stood there and watched both of my twins swim. I forgot how far they had to swim. A really long way. I couldn't have made it, but they did it. So I can guarantee you this guy knew how to swim. He knew how to swim. Um, So take away. Why didn't he save himself because of the blow to the head? Like I said, so the blow to the head, it could have gotten him like knocked out, you know, a little bit or just made him disoriented. Yeah. I don't know if you ever hit your head or fall down the stairs. You're like, where the heck am I? And you know what I mean? So you get confused. He's disoriented. It's dark. Um, and I've been taught, you know, in, in drowning, because, you know, people can drown in shallow water because you, they say that your, your instinct is to, to use your arms. So there could have been a point that he was trying to rescue himself and he got exhausted. So, and he just couldn't self-rescue. Unfortunately, there's many factors in, in drowning. Once you, like you said, he has head trauma. It's late at night. Um, like I said, he, he just could not rescue himself out of the water, unfortunately. I don't really know what happened because I can tell you this much. I agree with Captain Tim Self at the sheriff's office. That body did not end up two miles away with the story that he fell off the dock talking on Nancy. the phone. Yes. Nancy, I, I've handled quite a number of autopsies as law enforcement's presence in the ME. And I will simply tell you, and I live in an area like the captain does, where there's a lot of water. So I have seen a number of deaths over the decades. The fact is that not only did the body probably end up close to where it fell into the water, but also the fact that there, as I've read in in part of the news reporting, that there was foam at his mouth. The fact that he's floating so quickly after falling in the water tells me his lungs were full of water and that he was alive for a period of time after he found the water. But then a bizarre twist. Stories begin to change. Listen. Three days after the initial visit to the home, Lancaster Sheriff's detectives spotted damage to the boat. The Virginia Department of Game and Inland Fisheries reconstructed a crash and determined the boat had been involved in an accident. John Hooper told investigators that he remembers getting the boat off the bulkhead after it crashed. He says he had no memory of who was driving. 
Cooper is initially charged with the misdemeanor count of failing to make a timely report of the boat accident. What? No, I've got so many things colliding in my head. Number one, misdemeanor with a dead body. Okay, that's wrong. That's wrong. But what about his story? This is the best friend, John Randolph Rand Hopper. What about the story that I was asleep? I don't know what happened. He probably talked on the phone on the dock in the middle of the night and fell off. Then this beautiful son and brother's body is found two miles away with blows to the head. Yeah, none of that fits together. Now he changes his story only after sheriffs find damage to the boat. Okay, Melissa Hiplett, sounds like he changes his story after the damage is found to the boat. Yeah, and I just wanted to reiterate the fact that Captain Self and his uh, colleagues found the damage to the boat three days after the body was found. But then it wasn't until 25 days later, later that Rand Hooper comes into the department and shares a new story. Isn't that correct, Captain Self? That is correct, Melissa. It took him 25 more days to come in. Okay. Melissa Hiplett, thank you. I didn't know a 25-day period passed while Graham's parents twisted the wind, wondering what happened. Captain Tim Self joining us from Lancaster Sheriff's in Virginia <laughs> Tell me about you guys finding the damage to the boat. And this boat is the boat of the friend, Rand Hopper? That's correct. What happened? On, on that 14th, when, when I reviewed the report, um, I, when I saw that the body was recovered 1.9 miles away, and me knowing I've been raised on that creek all my, since I was a, a boy, I knew that was impossible. So I, uh, when the report came through, it written up as a drowning accidental, and I grabbed my crew. I said, no, we're going to the house. What made you, it must have been just all the years you've been in L.A. law enforcement, but what made you say, no, we're not going to the scene, we're not going to the river, we're going to the house? Yeah, I figured it, uh, since that Monday that they would still be at the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I loaded the crew up and we went there, and there was a cleaning company, cleaning windows, cleaning the house and all that, which throwed a red flag up for me then, which probably didn't pertain Why to did that throw up a red flag that they were having the house professionally cleaned? Well, if you, you know, you treat every every case as a homicide, not a missing person or unattended to death. We treat every case as a homicide, as everyone should, because you never know the circumstances that's behind it. So you go to the house, and what happens? Go to the house, uh, cleaning crews there. They clean in the house, and and we knock on the door, and and um, Gary Hooper uh, approached us to the front yard, and I was understanding that you were that he was you know out of the country in Africa, and that another flag went up on how quick you could get a flight to get home in a day. Uh, that that was baffling to me. Now, who is this? Is this the friend John Randolph Rand Hopper's? Dad? Yes. Okay. So he That's suddenly ever. flies home from Africa. Okay. Fl flies home for Africa within, I believe, um, Melissa would know that also, that I think he, he got a flight home and he was home within a day and a half. When I rode up there, uh, we got to the house and stuff and explained to him that, you know, could we see, you know, the the dock area where it possibly fell off the dock? He was very cooperative. He said, absolutely. Uh, before we went in, I looked and I could see that he had outside cameras. Uh, the cameras were on the house, also on the garage. 
there was a camera that was pointed down to the dock. So I asked him about the camera system, and he said that he had a camera system, and it all worked off of his phone through an app. So I said, great. I said, is there any way we can get that? He says, I can get all the cameras except for the one on the garage. And fortunately, the one on the garage is pointing at the dock. So what? we a coincidence. Yeah, okay. yeah, what a coincidence. Yeah. So then we, we, we go in. He carries us in the house. So we go down to where where Graham was staying in the room and saw his, you know, uh, where the room was at in the door. And then as we were going down to the dock, I could see that there was a couple of uh, uh, lights that were knocked over as, you know, somebody had bumped them or hit them or whatever, which we found out what that was from. So we go down, walk down to the dock, and uh, we get on the dock and start looking. And we were told the first day, that Friday, that the boat used was the little... I believe 16-foot or 15-foot Boston Whaler that was uh, on the left side of the dock, that that's what they used to go creek riding and all that. It was the only boat that they used. So, and then I go down to the end of the dock, and I see wine glasses that's broke it under the bench that's at the end of the dock. So when I've been down to pick the glass up, and I questioned Gary, but he said, I guess they were drinking out here. They drink all the time. They leave the glasses. They fall over, and they break. So as I turn, and I said, how about this boat? And he says, uh, that's, 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 that's my boat. And I looked, and I could see damage to the lower unit. And so I questioned the lower unit damage. And he said, oh, no, that happens. We pull up to a beach, and it gets damaged. And I looked at that damage, and I said, no, this is fresh damage. Wait, how did you know that, Captain? Experience on a boat. I've owned a boat, too, again, for 30 years. And I know what it's like if you hit something. And I pull my boat up on the beach like every other Sunday in the Caratoman, and I, I don't I don't get any damage to my lower unit. And then when I bent over to look at the lower unit, I seen on the stern of the boat on the right side, just in front of the trim tail. Well, I want to analyze what you just said. When you pulled up on a beach, you don't get damage to your boat. People pull up on beaches all the time. It's sand. It's mushy. That's not going to damage your boat unless you pull up on rocks. Well, and and I think he was saying it was a rocky spot there to where he pulls up. But mm-hmm. the, the the rocky spot, in order for that lower unit in the back, uh, he that boat would have bottomed out before it hit the beach. So it shouldn't have, you know, he, he wouldn't have tore the motor, the lower unit up like that. It was actually bent. And the prop was was damaged heavily. So, and so that, this is the father talking to you, the father mm-hmm. of the friend Rand Hopper, right? Yes, the father. And he said he caused that damage to the boat pulling up on a beach. He said that the damage uh, that he's had damage when he hit up on a beach prior to with the prop, and I told him not that much damage. And what then was his when reaction? I, it, when I bend over and I looked under the bottom of the boat, and there was fresh fiberglass peel off the uh, stern bottom of that boat and he bent down and looked and I said uh, that didn't happen at a beach and he says uh, no you're right and that was pretty much end of the conversation and then while I'm looking at the at the stern of the boat uh, Detective Sorensen is at standing at the bow of the boat it's on a lift on a two motor lift that's raised up above the dock and he looks he said uh, Lieutenant, you might want to come up here. So I climbed on the lift, got down, and then there was holes in the fiberglass on the bow of the boat. So that's when, at at that time, I uh, photographed it. And 
then I asked Gary if we could have the boat, and he said, absolutely. Uh, he said, but I got to get a trailer straight because my trailer needs repair before we can pull it pull it up. And I said, okay. He said, if you give me till tomorrow, I'll get this done. Well, so we, we photographed that and looked around there, and then we left. And then the next day, I got to call that uh, if I wanted to boat, He's not released a boat per his attorney, so then that's what. Whoa, we're... whoa, wait! So first of all, they say you can have the boat, and that's without a search warrant. You see it, yes. and of course, that's perfectly legal because any person walking by can see it. So a cop can see it too. A sheriff like you can see it, but then to take the boat somewhere and examine it forensically, you know, looking for uh, particles of rock or even blood. You'd want a warrant for that unless they handed it over. So he says, yeah, you can take it. But then the next day you can't take it. Yes, I was I was informed by the the attorney, the attorney advised that they're not releasing the boat. So that's when we obtained the search warrant. And, and OK, well, I, I don't get it. Burke McCormick, this is Graham's dad, who is also a ter- and a lawyer. You're going to they're going to get the boat, whether it's with a warrant or with permission. And that is a huge red flag when they wouldn't hand over the boat. Absolutely. And, and, and right there, we I knew that, right. we, Yeah, we knew it was going to happen. And I'd like to go back to one thing, if you don't mind, about the the cell phone, the cell service that he was saying that he went down to the dock because there's no cell service there. Right. Only a few people know that because there, he, he's exactly right. There is no cell phone service there at that location. All that was, in my opinion, was another red flag because he knew that it was no cell phone service, so it's a good story. Hey, he left out of the house to go down to the end of the dock to get cell phone service so it could cover the store that they, they went for they went on the boat. Because he knew Agree. there was no cell service there. Okay, then what happened, Captain? So then I want we wanted to I wanted to go to where the body was located. So we go well, around. Well I mean with the boat. Them. You get a warrant, you get the boat uh, anyway, and where do yes. you take it? Well, we we brought it to the sheriff's office, and then we took it to uh, Jack's Marine in in Burgess, so that he could put it over that overhead lift, so that the forensic examination could be uh, done. Okay. And did the forensic exam take place? Yes, it did. And what, if anything, did they learn? Uh, they learned that the the boat had large damage to the undercarriage, uh, the bow under, and the and the motor. Mm, you did not get that from pulling up on a sandy beach. Okay, then what did you do? No. So then we, we I wanted to go to the, to where the body was, was found. And when we went over to that point, we started looking around. And I walked up to the bulk, bulkhead. And the, the bulkhead, it's, a, it's, it's top layered with salt-treated trim, like a 2x12 or 2x10. And then it's a fiberglass bulk wall. That was all damaged. So. And perfect to look at where that had been damaged to it. It was right there. If the boat come off the bulkhead and went around and hit those jetties, the body was laying right there. And then you could see fiberglass where it jumped the jetty, and there was a old piling that was over on the opposite left side of the jetty where the boat had to jump the jetty to get back into the channel where the body was located. And it was fiberglass on a pylon, which was recovered. And and that was also sent to the free, uh, forensic lab for analysts. You know what, uh, to the McCormick family, you better hope this captain gets reelected again. Because if he had not gone out, 
and they found that fiberglass evidence at the scene of the crash, you may never have gotten justice. Did you know that, Burke McCormick? I, I absolutely did, Nancy. And we feel so lucky because if, if, if Captain Self and his team hadn't pursued this doggedly, um, this would have been swept under the rug. If Graham's body had not been found, he might have floated out into the Chesapeake Bay and oh. never been found. And, you and, just and actually, sure. you just gave me chills all up and down my arms thinking people that have children out there thinking of your child floating around never found out in the chesapeake bay is not something you want to think about and it was was no coincidence that captain self found that it's because he went out there and he searched and he knew what to look for and he saved you and your family you and gordon and Catherine, graham's mother from the pain of never knowing what happened. But I want you to hear more of what Melissa Hippolyte has to say in our cut four. We thought Rand Hooper was a close family friend. But 25 days after detectives recovered Graham's body, his family received some shocking news. Rand had just told detectives in the Lancaster County Sheriff's Office that he and Graham took a boat ride in the early morning hours of August 11th in 2017. Hooper said he could not remember who was driving the boat, but he remembered the boat hitting something hard, turning the boat's engine off, calling out for Graham, and when he didn't see or hear him, he figured his friend was a good swimmer and could make it to shore, got his bearing straight to the tides in, and then remembered nothing after that. Okay, I don't think that's the whole story, Burke McCormick, because he stood by and let the mom frantically search with an oar off the dock. He knew all along what had happened. Of course he did, Nancy. He came home that night, went to bed, got up the next morning and made tea times for everybody, uh, pretended that he didn't know where Graham was. And when there was a report that a body had been found floating in the creek, uh, people who were there said his eyes got as big as saucers, but he knew he had been found out. He had hoped that we'd never find Graham and that he would just act like nothing had happened. And his, you know, it just was despicable. I, I, I've got to and hear then, that again. Hold on. Hold on. The level of deception. I mean, when I try to tell a lie, I feel hot all over. I can't look anybody in the face. And then I think about it afterwards. And it actually makes my stomach hurt. And I'm sure I'm going to get caught. And I always do get caught. Melissa Hiplett, what happened? How did the friend, how did he act, Rand Hopper, the next day? If you'll recall, he was, you know, setting up tea times. Um, He was sharing stories of what he believed may have happened to go out and play golf. He was on the phone Okay, yeah, go he, ahead. Made a tea, he made a tea time the next morning at the Indian Creek Country Club for Graham and he and others to play. Including Graham? Yes. Okay, I need a shrink and I need one fast. Dr. Jory Crossan, you wake up the next morning, you have coffee, and you start making tea times for golf at some country club when the night before you know D-A-R-N well that your friend, in best case scenario, got hit in the head and fell in the water and drowned. 
and you're covering it up and you're planning to go play golf and pretending he's going to join? What is that? It was, it was all part of the cover-up. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I, I'm for a loss of words as a psychologist, but uh, to try to decipher what he was thinking is, is like next impossible. I mean, I can see, you know, disassociating all that stuff, but uh, this is his best friend. I mean, you know, they, you know, best friends are like closer than family, you know, and to, to do this, uh, yeah, you, I mean, I'm really at a loss of words for it. It's pure evil. I mean, it's the, isn't it true, Catherine McCormick? This is Graham's sister that Rand Hopper actually spoke at your brother's funeral. Yes. So Graham was actually buried before his funeral service. Uh, my brother Gordon and I lowered his remains into the ground in a very emotional, um, intimate setting with close friends and family. Um, and as our family was leaving the burial site to go up to the parish hall to get ready to recess into the church, the first person who met me at the top of the steps was Rand and his girlfriend, Willis. Rand held me, he hugged me, and he whispered in my ear and said, everything is going to be okay. Um, just moments before I delivered a very tearful eulogy in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. He was the only reader who read at the funeral that was not a close family member. Gordon McCormick, this is Graham's brother. Is that how you remember it? Yes. Uh, yes, yeah, so that is how I remember it. Um, and I also got reports from other friends who were acting as ushers that he was very uh, skittish and kind of like pale white and sweaty and seemed very nervous. Uh, before the, the service began. Um, and I wanted to point out one other thing. Uh, Captain Self, correct me if I'm wrong, but when the police first showed up and took their initial report, didn't Rand tell tell, you, tell your guys that Graham was a drug addict? I believe it. I believe it did. That sent my mother into uh, basically a fit of rage where she had to fight the courts to try to get that removed from the, from like, because I think that was included in his autopsy. And unfortunately, right. the court was not able to remove it, I don't think, from the from the report. They could only add an asterisk saying according to to the uh, accused, basically. Um, but, yeah, that that goes to show Graham, of course, as you've already learned, was the opposite of of, uh, of a drug addict. He was the guy who um, would try to prevent somebody from from taking drugs. So you had to know right then that he was hiding something that would be just like if somebody told me, Jackie, my my longtime friend and producer is a drug addict no way that's not true and whoever says that is lying so i got to figure out why are they lying oh i bet your mom did a backflip when she heard him say her eagle scout baby boy was a drug addict they had to know he was lying then right we didn't know anything about Rand's dark past nancy including the 2011 incident where he shot someone that melissa has reported on had and I don't believe Ram knew anything about this either. Rand was very good at concealing these dark, dark things. Uh, and uh, it, as I say, it was just such a betrayal of a person we thought was a good family friend. Burke, do you remember him reading at your son's funeral? Absolutely. We we asked him because we thought he was Graham's friend and we thought he was grieving along with us. And my wife went up to him before the funeral and said, "You can't blame yourself for what happened." 
And when she found out the truth about what happened, she was just livid because she felt like an idiot for saying something like that. And, and Rand, Rand's parents kept coming up to me at the funeral and hugging me and uh, three or four times. Uh, oh, the same parents who wouldn't let you have the boat? Yeah, well, they can yes. keep their hugs. Take a listen to friends was, at Crime Online. Was, it would be three years before Rand Hooper would face additional charges in Graham McCormick's death. Initially, Hooper was charged with a misdemeanor count of failing to make a timely report of the boat accident. Those charges were upgraded to involuntary manslaughter with a proposed deal of just one year in prison, but a special prosecutor determined that more charges were appropriate as Hooper was accused of operating his boat while intoxicated, leading to a crash that killed McCormick. Hooper was arrested and charged with felony murder, involuntary manslaughter while under the influence operating a watercraft, and failure to stop and assist with serious injury or death. Melissa Hippolyte, hold on just a moment. <laughs> Investigative reporter WTVR, they were going to let him have one year, which turns out to be maybe three months is what that really means, on a misdemeanor? What? Yeah, so initially, and Captain Self can speak to this a little bit more, but there was the initial misdemeanor charge. I think they were gathering evidence and, you know, then they were finally able to get the involuntary manslaughter charge. But Why'd they have to uh, bring in was, a special prosecutor? Okay, so there was the Commonwealth's attorney at the time. This is like the local district attorney who was responsible for representing Graham McCorm- McCormick's family who said, you know what, we're going to broker a plea agreement with uh, Rand Hooper and his lawyers. They you know, met, they discussed this, and in exchange for a guilty plea, he will serve one year behind bars. Burke McCormick, one year, which as we all know, you get one year in the county jail, he'll probably be out in two or three months. One year, what? This, this Commonwealth's attorney was incompetent. Uh, he's now been, he, he lost re-election and is no longer a member of the Virginia Bar. His license was suspended uh, and uh, over his conduct in this case. Um, wow. We were not getting justice. And this is a whole other story about us not getting justice. This prosecutor would not have, he wouldn't have done anything if we didn't push him constantly. He was not going to do anything. To bring in uh, a special prosecutor? He wouldn't bring one in. We we begged him to bring a, a, a help in to help him prosecute, and he refused because he thought it would look bad for his re-election. Uh, Whoa, he well, he's right about case. that. That re-election didn't work out very well for him. Take a listen to our cut six, WTV. It didn't. Two and a half years ago and, when things went sideways, uh, I felt alone. I felt uh, abandoned. I felt like we, my family was, uh, well, kind of left out in the cold, um, and I prayed and asked for, I asked God for warriors. This case has had more twists and turns than a bobsled run. From 2017 until now, the McCormicks endured a plea deal thrown out by a judge, a prosecutor who had his law license suspended, another prosecutor who was removed from the case, new, more serious charges, and COVID delays. I've spent the majority of my 20s waiting for justice for my brother. And finally, I believe, God did intervene on behalf of Graham McCormick's family. Listen. On Thursday, their long wait finally came to an end when a Norfolk jury found Rand Hooper guilty of involuntary manslaughter and failure to stop and render assistance in a boating crash. The judge revoked his bond. 
once I saw that the handcuffs come on, that's when it became real. And um, that's when uh, I felt like it was time to turn the page and I got my life back. Next up in this case, the judge will determine Rand Hooper's sentence. Now, during the prosecution of this case, they were not allowed to bring up Rand Hooper's prior record of DUIs, as well as the time that he shot his friend while drunk in the fan district. But during the sentencing phase, the judge can consider those things. You're hearing Melissa Hiplett. You're hearing what the judge can consider in sentencing. But first, can we just take a moment and say PTL? after all the family went through, that there is a guilty verdict. But what about sentencing? Listen. For the first time, we heard from Rand Hooper just before the judge gave him his sentence. He said that Graham McCormick was one of the greatest people he had ever met. And he said the safety of everyone at his parents' river house that day was his responsibility. And for that, he was sorry. Gordon McCormick says he believes his brother's former friend, Rand Hooper, finally understands that actions have consequences. I could hear something in his voice that uh, he should have said what he said five years ago. Judge Charles Poston sentenced Hooper to six years behind bars for driving a boat while drunk, crashing it into a bulkhead, which threw Graham McCormick out of the boat, and then leaving without trying to find his friend, who ended up dying. Well, I have to tell the McCormick family that I believe they were entirely wrong. I think he said what he felt he had to say to get a reduced sentence, because guess what? He is now appealing. Listen, Rand Hooper's lawyer submitted a motion last week requesting a sentence reduction. A judge sentenced him to six years behind bars in May. Now, in his motion, Cooley says the boat involved in the crash that resulted in Graham McCormick's death was recently released from the sheriff's office. He claims the boat did not have nearly as much damage as the prosecution claimed it had during the trial. He argues the boat's damage shows no indication of who was driving the boat at the time of the crash and re-highlighted his argument that he made during the trial that there was no evidence that Rand Hooper was driving the boat at the time of the crash. Therefore, he could not be held responsible for Graham McCormick's death. Okay, does it never end with Rand Hooper, Burke McCormick? Uh, this canard about who was driving the boat has been repeated even up through the appeal, and it's so ridiculous. The, Com the Commonwealth attorneys who prosecuted this case did a brilliant job of showing how the physics showed that Graham was ejected from the boat while Rand held on. And uh, it's been rejected by every judge in court that has heard the argument, but that's all they have to talk about is there's no proof that Rand was driving the boat, and, and that's absurd. Who else could have been driving the boat beside him? Uh, he claimed uh, Graham was, and there's absolutely zero evidence to suggest that Graham did it. Graham wouldn't even drive a golf cart at somebody else's golf club. Uh, he would not have been driving a boat even during the day, and much less at night. Uh, and the Court of Appeals, in its opinion, did a masterful job of showing uh, how absurd that argument was. Well, simple. I've got a, a question. How can we be sure that that is how Graham McCormick got the blows to the head. How do we know he got blows to the head from being ejected from the boat? The expert testimony that was given from the okay. medical examiner that provides that information. That's so how we know let that. me ask the McCormick family. The appeal has been denied, but you know on a six-year sentence, he will probably be out in two years, maybe. Uh, 
four, four years. The projected release date is January 2026. But That's what we think. But what do you make of that, Catherine? It does make me very uncomfortable. We had to live in Richmond with him for five years before we even went to trial. Um, I ran into him at the vet when I took my new puppy in to see for his first appointment. So thinking of him walking free makes me feel very unsafe, but I am glad that we were able to get justice. What about it, Gordon McCormick? Well, I think, uh, you know, we, we did what we needed to do. We, we got, we got closure and justice in the form of a conviction. And as we uh, said from the get-go, we weren't really too concerned with the final outcome of the sentence, and we really just wanted the truth. And, you know, we're only covering half the story here. The other half, of course, is my dad called the prosecutor incompetent, but the truth is he was corrupt. He actually had, I, I believe, a criminal history before he took office. That's a story for another time. Um, but having to fight that, that character and, I mean, the stuff that he said in our private meetings to my mother, I can't repeat here because they're so profane that, uh, you know, defeating him, that was catharsis um, in and of itself. That Why having, did any having... prosecutor speak to the victim's mother that way, Burt McCormick? The, the first prosecutor we had was awful. Uh, he was so unprofessional. And as an attorney, I was embarrassed for the legal system that my family had to see uh, such an unprofessional and incompetent Commonwealth attorney. But we were perilous to do anything under Virginia law. Uh, only the voters could remove him. The attorney general had no power to, to intervene. Uh, and fortunately, the voters in 2019 did remove him. But it was it was just such a uh, an awful experience. Uh, so that, that's that's really the second track of the story was that justice was delayed. But eventually we did get justice. Uh, if back in the if we would have been very happy to take a four year uh, prison sentence. Uh, in the 2019 plea deal, uh, but that wasn't even on the table. So although we would have liked to seen him seen him in jail for longer than four years, uh, we would have been very happy with that at the beginning. If I can jump back in here, the scene uh, in back in June of 2019 when we went in to, for that plea deal to be accepted was almost identical to the scene you had here a month or two back with a Hunter Biden when he went in for his plea deal. Exact same circumstances where. Um, there was an agreement between the prosecutor and the defendant. They thought it was a done a done deal. And then the judge said, hold on a minute. Um, I don't think so. So that 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 uh, was a very dramatic twist to the whole situation itself. And you know, three different judges were involved, I think four different prosecutors. So this thing was uh, good cop, bad cop, uh, everything. I mean, I wouldn't call Jan Smith a cop. He's just a, more of a con man, but, um, you know, politician type. But uh yeah. The second judge, when he rejected the plea deal and he said that, that Rand had a cold and malignant heart, Jan Smith, the prosecutor, had already been defeated for re-election because this was in December of 2019 and the election was in November. He had 12 days left in office. And after the judge rejected the plea deal, Jan Smith, behind everyone's back, went back with the defense lawyers knowing he had 12 days left in office and he entered the exact same plea deal. So when the new prosecutor took office in January, he was stunned to find out about it and he had to work to have the plea deal set aside. After years and years of waiting, finally, the truth about the death of Graham McCormick. Goodbye, friend. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.